Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. I am here, and I'm doing fine. I still have a bit of a bad throat, but I'm good. I'm so sorry. We've run so many encores. I really apologize to you, but I'm back, and I don't intend to miss another program. But of course... Someone said, "Tell you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plan. So it's my plan. I will never miss another program uh, to be live. But um, as soon as we say what we'll do, uh, God shows us that we're not in control. It's okay, but I miss you. And yesterday we began doing a, uh, began doing a program just from my phone. And uh, it, even the phone cut out. I think where we live... Um, we don't, we don't yet have internet. We put a satellite on the roof of our mobile home, and when it's a cloudy day, it, it simply interferes. So I'm back in Monica's blessed, uh, pray that God blesses her. Um, and I'm going to go over what we started yesterday from the Catechism, explain the divine attributes. An attribute is something that is true of God. It's not just what he's like. It is what he is. Um, we ascribe to God various attributes because the unity of the divine perfection is reflected in different ways in creatures. The sun is sometimes red, sometimes yellow, or a palish white. It is the mists around the earth that cause the variety in it, as it is seen by us. The attributes of God are therefore various manifestations of God's one and indivisible perfection or essence in God. They are all one and the same. His goodness is the same as his justice, his wisdom as his power, his power as his eternity, etc. The divine attributes are also identical with God himself. God is wisdom, power, eternity. doesn't have like we may have wisdom, we may have power, but God is wisdom. He is power. He is eternity. God is a being of the most perfect and absolute simplicity. And I, I said yesterday that um, I received what I thought was an insult years ago when I was told by um, some, some good people that I was simple. It was actually by a pastor that I was simple. And I said, in my, my heart, I said, what do you mean I'm simple? And I learned that it's a tremendous compliment because it means if you're simple, you're uncomplicated, you're a person of integrity, you're whole, um, what you see is what you get. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And so we can say God is absolute simplicity. There's no parts in him. There's no contradiction in him. There is no sort of multiplicity or obscurity in, in him. There is no sort of division between God's attributes. It is from our understanding that the distinction between them arises. In created things, it is quite different. They possess attributes which are really distinct from each other. The attributes of God may be divided into those which belong to God's essence, 
those that belong to his understanding and those that belong to his will. The attributes of the divine essence are omnipresence, eternity, immutability. Omnipresence means he's present everywhere. Eternity has no beginning or no end. Immutability, he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those that belong to his understanding are omniscience, that means he knows all things, perfect wisdom, etc. And those that belong to his will or omni, omnipotence, or that he's all, omni, O-M-N-I is a prefix meaning all, potence, God is all powerful, his goodness, holiness, justice, truth, and faithfulness, and those belong to his will. God is eternal, that is, he always was, he is, and ever will be. God's words to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I am who am, express his eternity. There never was a time when God did not exist. He never began to exist. He existed before the world, as a builder must exist before the house that he builds, and the watchmaker before the watch that he fashions. God can never cease to live as men do. Hence, he is called the living God in Matthew 16, and he is called immortal in 1 Timothy. He existed before all time, and he will exist to all eternity. With him, with God, there is no past or future. All is present with him. And I gave yesterday, I don't know where the program cut out, so I'll just repeat it again. To me, I found it such a wonderful analogy that if you watch, let's say, Easter's coming up and... Um, uh, back in New York, my mother used to work for Macy's, and so we always in Brooklyn had the Macy's parade. And you would stand at a point in the street, and even many parades today, and you'd see the parade coming with all of its floats and decorations and bands and music and all of that. And you might stand for a half hour or an hour till the whole parade passed you. But God, in that perspective, is like, although this is not what God is like, but he's the helicopter pilot, can see, doesn't see it from beginning to end. He sees the entire thing in one picture with no time. And so God also, the whole history of the world, is and has ever been in his sight. There is for him no succession of events. There is no time for God. He created time and put us in it. But for God, there's no time. So he sees the creation of the world and Adam and Eve, and even before Adam and Eve, the angels, right through till the end of time, which is the end of the world, but past it into eternity. It's all today with God. There's no succession of events in him. There is no time. Um, Peter wrote in Second Peter, one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day, all the same to God. Millions of ages are as nothing compared with eternity. If a bird were to carry away from the ocean one drop of water every thousand years, the time would come when the ocean would be dry. Can you imagine that? A bird carrying one drop of water every thousand years, and in time... The whole ocean would be dry. It seems 
insane to us, but that immense period of time, which seems to us inexhaustible, is less than the shortest moment compared with the eternity of God's existence. St. Augustine says, Dost thou desire eternal joy? Thou must be faithful to him who is the eternal. God is omnipotent, omnipresent rather. He's in every place. After Jacob had seen in the open country the ladder reaching up to heaven, he exclaimed, God is in this place, and I knew it not, Genesis 28. The same words are true of every place. God is not only present everywhere with his power, but he himself fills and penetrates all space. Through Jeremiah, God said, do not, do, do not I fill heaven and earth? God is everywhere present because all created things exist in God. All creatures exist in God as thought exists in our minds. As mind is of more extent than thought, so God is of more extent than the world and all it contains. As mind penetrates thought, so God penetrates the world. Luke wrote in the book of Acts, in him we live and move and exist. God is at the same time quite distant from creatures and from the whole world. He's in it and distant at the same time. God is not circumscribed by any place, nor by the whole of creation, because God has no limits, either actual or possible. In his prayer at the dedication of the temple, Solomon said, quote, If heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built. The infinite cannot be contained in measurable space. Only bodies are contained in space, but they cannot be in more than one place at the same time. God is everywhere, says St. Bernard, and yet nowhere. He is near us, and yet is far away. All creation is in him, and yet it is as if he were not in it. Yet God is of more extent than space, and therefore can be in every place at the same time. Though God is of more extent than all space, and his presence extends from earth to heaven and far beyond, he is not scattered over the universe, partly on earth and partly in heaven, but he is holy everywhere and holy in each separate place, holy in heaven and holy on earth. He fills heaven and earth, so the soul of man fills his entire body, but yet it is holy in every separate portion of his body. This is the Catechism explained and explained by Reverend Sparago and his illustrations are so helpful. There is the music for our first break, dear ones. We'll come back and continue this after the second break, and then, uh, after this break, rather, and after the second break, we'll have an entire half hour for ourselves to take your calls and your emails, and if you'd like to call in ahead, the toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. I would imagine your pastor preaches from the text which says, we preach Jesus Christ crucified. So then, where's the crucifix in your church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Under the dread of persecution and death, the crucifix was displayed at Mass, but with great caution due to the threats of the Roman emperors and the pagan haters of Christianity. Traveling up through time, Pope Pius V in 1570 made it mandatory to display a crucifix in every church. Secondly, the Bible. First Corinthians 1 says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. You see, there was never any embarrassment of his corpse. In fact, two men of great renown, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, boldly handled the dead body of Jesus. And thirdly, my comeback. You see, at times, the early church held mass in the catacombs to honor the shed blood of the brave martyrs. Sad to say, many contemporary churches don't even have a cross in their church, let alone a crucifix. Also, could a crucifix on your neck cause others to think you are Catholic? St. Peter, it must have been horrible when you heard that rooster crow. In the New Testament's first letter of St. John, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we read, And we have this confidence in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in regard to whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked Him for is ours. It's incredible to realize how much God loves us, what He has promised us, and what He'll give us through our trust in Him. Have you prayed for the Station of the Cross today? We would be grateful if you would remember us each day in your prayers, whether it's the Most Holy Rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, the Liturgy of the Hours, the Most Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, or any other prayers you pray throughout the day. Please also pray for the intentions of your fellow Catholic radio listeners. It's so important for us to remember to keep one another in prayer. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she and I am live and I am here today. And I pray with God's grace uh, we won't miss another day or have another encore, but probably it will happen, but we're not going to plan on it. Uh, We are speaking about the divine attributes of God, and we are on his attribute of being omnipresent, meaning that he is everywhere present. God is present in a special manner in heaven, in the blessed sacrament, and in the souls of the just. God is present in heaven to the gaze of the angels and saints. He is present as the God-man in the blessed sacrament. He is present in the souls of men through the Holy Spirit who is given to them. A king is present in his whole palace, but is especially present in the chamber where he sits on his throne and gives audiences to his subjects. There is no place where God is not. Um, Proverbs 15 says, The eyes of the Lord in every place behold the good and the evil. We sometimes see in churches a large eye painted over the altar to remind us that God is present everywhere. Through Jeremiah, he said, No one can hide himself from God. Hence, no one can escape from God. Psalm 138. Jonah made the attempt, but with very poor success. Hence, learn to avoid every sin. 
see with what unspeakable shame a man is filled if he is detected by one of his fellow men in a despicable action. Yet we are not ashamed to practice the most disgraceful vices in the presence of God. We ought therefore continually to bear in mind that God is always present with us. Think wherever you are that God is near you. As there is no moment of time when we are not enjoying some benefit from the hand of God, so there ought to be no moment of time when we have not God in our thoughts. And you could say, well, I don't always think of God. Well, the point here is there's no moment of time when we are not enjoying some benefit from the hand of God. If we breathe, that's his grace. He gives us the air to breathe. He gives us a body to function. He who always has God in his thoughts, says St. Ephraim, will become like an angel on the earth. The continual remembrance of the presence of God is very profitable to us. It has great power to deter us from sin and to keep us in the grace of God. It incites us to good works and makes us intrepid in his service. The remembrance of the presence of God gives strength in time of temptation and holds us back from sin. Look at Joseph in Egypt. A soldier fights more bravely in the presence of his king. The remembrance of the presence of God is also the best means of remaining in the grace of God. It is like Ariandus' clue by means of which we, like Theseus, can find the way through the labyrinth of our life on earth and remain unscathed by the minotaur of hell. The remembrance of the presence of God increases our zeal in God's service and leads us on to the practice of all the virtues. It makes us more careful in the performance of all our duties. The nearer the water is to the spring, the purer it is. The nearer one is to the fire, the greater the warmth. The closer we keep to God, the greater our perfection. When the tree is closely united to the root, it brings forth plenteous fruit. The Christian brings forth good fruit to eternal life if he is closely united to God. The thought of God also renders us fearless. When the Empress Eudoxia threatened St. John Chrysostom with banishment, he answered, You will not frighten me. Hold on a moment. Something just, something just came in the way. You will not frighten me unless you are able to send me to some place where God is not. No one can do that. David says to God, Though I walk in the midst of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. If a timid man has a companion with him, his fear disappears. So we shall not fear if God, the all-powerful God, is with us. Next, God is immutable. He doesn't change. He ever remains the same. God never changes. He never becomes better or worse. He never breaks his word. Creation made no change in God. From all eternity, he had decreed the creation of the universe. 
God changes his works, but not his eternal decrees. By the incarnation, humanity was changed, but the Godhead underwent no change. Just as the sun is in no way changed when it hides itself behind a cloud, our thoughts are not changed when they clothe themselves in words. So the divinity was not changed when it clothed itself in the nature of man. God does not change when he punishes the sinner. When the heart of man is in friendship with God, God shows himself as a God of infinite love and mercy. When the heart is estranged from him, the sinner sees in the unchangeable God an angry and avenging judge. When the eye is sound, the light is pleasant to it. But if it is diseased, light causes it pain. It is not the light that is changed, but the eye that looks upon it. When an angry man looks in the glass, he sees a different reflection from that which he saw when he was cheerful and in good humor. It is not the glass that has changed, but the man. When the sun shines through colored glass, its rays take the color of the glass. The sun does not change, but the light is changed by the medium through which it passes. So when God rewards, it is not God who changes, but man who performs different and better actions, thereby meriting the grace of God. When in scripture we read that God repented of having made man, that God is angry with the wicked, the phrases used are accommodated to our imperfect comprehension. God is omniscient. He knows all things, all-knowing. He knows the past, the present, and the future, and also our inmost thoughts. God knew that Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit. Our Lord foreknew St. Peter's denial, the destruction of Jerusalem, etc. He knew the thoughts of Simon the Pharisee, and that he was angry at our Lord showing such kindness to Magdalene the sinner. God sees as in a glass all men, and their very action. He that planted the ear, Psalm 93 says, he that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that made the eye, shall he not see? God also foresees evil, but man is not thereby constrained to do evil. It is just as if we see from a distance a man who is committing some crime. God sees the deed because the man does it. The man does not do it because God sees it. When some past action is present to our thoughts, it did not happen because it is in our thoughts. So when God foresees some future action, it does not happen because God has foreseen it. But he has foreseen it because the man is going to commit it. The man is not compelled to commit because God has foreseen it. When God foresees that some man will be lost forever, God's foreknowledge is not the cause of the man's damnation. The physician foresees the approaching death of his patient, but his knowledge is not the cause of the man's death. The learned Franciscan Duns Scotus, 
once heard a farmer uttering terrible curses and begged him not to damn his soul so thoughtlessly. The farmer answered, God knows everything. He knows whether I shall go to heaven or to hell. If he knows that I shall go to heaven, why to heaven I shall go? If he knows that I shall go to hell, I shall go to hell. What then does it matter what I do or say? And the priest answered, In that case, why plow your fields? God knows whether they will bear a good crop or not. If he knows that they will bear a good harvest, the harvest will be good, whether you plow the land or not. If he knows that they will be unfruitful, why unfruitful will they be? Rather, why unfruitful they will be? Why then should you waste your time plowing? Then the farmer understood that it is not the omniscience of God, but the free action of man that determines both our temporal and our eternal happiness or misery. God also knows what would have happened under certain given circumstances. This is the reason why he sends us trials. Let me repeat this. God also knows what would have happened under certain given circumstances. This is the reason why he sends us trials in order to prevent greater evils that otherwise would have happened to us. I have, I have understood this and seen this for years, my personal life. When I have a hardship or I have a particular trial or if I fail in a trial, temptation, whatever it is, I bless God because I know that he is maturing me through that trial to prevent me from a greater and more serious trial. Thus our Lord knew that the inhabitants of Tyre and Sidon would have done penance if such wonders had been worked among them as he worked in Chorazin and Bethsaida. God foresees that some of the just will be led astray by the seductions of the world and sometimes in his mercy takes them at an early age to himself. That happened with Enoch in Wisdom chapter 4. He took him early to protect him from the dangers of the world. Only Enoch was only a teenager. He was 365 years old. (laughs) He foresees that some will be ruined by riches or by prosperity and therefore brings them to poverty and to earthly misfortune. That's God's love. It's his mercy to us. This ought to make us bear our troubles with patience. The trials of the just are an opportunity offered them to advance in virtue. Oh, this is so good and rich, beloved. Through the Catechism Explained and Reverence Farago, we have a spiritual director in all these things. It's very, very beautiful. When we come back from the break, we'll have a whole half hour to take your calls and your emails Our lines are wide open, and we invite you to call in with no matter what it is on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for March 22nd. Today we celebrate Saint Nicholas Owen. Nicholas Owen was a humble artisan who lived in England during the so-called penal times of 1559 to 1829, when Catholics were punished for practicing their faith. For almost 20 years, he used his skills to build secret hiding places for priests throughout the country. Working as both architect and builder, he constructed hiding places that went undetected by English raiders. Nicholas was a genius at finding and creating places of safety, subterranean passages, small spaces between walls, impenetrable recesses. He was fortified by receiving Eucharist daily. After many years of going about his unusual and dangerous work, Nicholas became a Jesuit lay brother, although, for obvious reasons, his connection with the Jesuits had to be kept secret. After a number of narrow escapes, he was finally caught in 1594. Despite brutal torture, Nicholas refused to disclose the names of other Catholics. He was released and resumed his work, but was arrested again in 1606. This time, after even more brutal torture, Nicholas suffered an agonizing death. He was canonized in 1970 as one of the 40 martyrs of England and Wales. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The, the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish. And we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we'd never been taught. Wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live and we are together and I'm grateful to God for that. Uh, we have a call from Kathy in Ohio. Hello, Kathy. Hello. Hi, dear. Do you have uh, a question? Well, actually, it's it's more of an answer. You, there was okay. a man last Thursday who called asking about in the Sparago Catechism that he said in the early church that uh, when they received communion, they crossed the left hand over the right hand. So it sounded like it was communion in the hand. You know what? I remember that, and um, I think it was even page 158 that he said. I mean, for some strange reason, I think I remember that, but I wasn't able to look it up. But go ahead, Kathy. Um, Bishop Athanasius Snyder has explained uh, that there was more, more to it than just crossing your hands. After the communicant crosses the left hand over the right hand, then a cloth would be laid over top of the hand. Right. And then the communicant would actually lean forward and pick up the host directly into the mouth, never touching the host other than in the mouth. And it was linen, and it was clean on the hands. So we didn't put the host into 
hands with germs and and the person pick it up with his other hand. Kathy, God bless you for calling in with that. I've also heard that, but I, I hadn't yet looked up that passage to comment. I really appreciate you calling in on that. So if in all churches, where now communion is not served on the hand in, in the Latin traditional mass, but in most Novus Ordo churches, uh, it is. Um, and if we did it that way by putting a linen on the hand and we would just bend down and pick our Lord up with our own mouth, um, that would be truly wonderful. Um, thank you for calling in on that, Kathy. God bless you, sweetheart. Thank you, Mother. Thank you. We have an a email from someone who writes in anonymously and says, Mother Miriam, <clears throat> A number of bishops have stated that it is okay to eat meat on St. Patrick's Day. Well, now I'm a little behind on the emails because we've been running some encores, so so I'm, I'm, I'll still comment on them, though. Um, a number of bishops have stated that it's okay to eat meat on St. Patrick's Day and instructed the faithful to proceed as if it is not a Friday during Lent. Others have stated the contrary for their diocese. How do you feel about this? Do you think is appropriate and or necessary? Something doesn't feel right. I think I'll just withhold from consuming meat anyways. Well, whoever you are, dear Anonymous, we have also agreed with you and we we withhold from consuming meat on all Fridays. In fact, we don't have meat in our community during the whole of Lent. But... Um, it, it grieves me some. It does. I'm not saying it's wrong or sinful. Um, but um, if you ask how I feel about it, I'm actually sorry for it because um, we have so lessened the requirements of Lent from years back. Um, we're wimps. We do so little. Our fasting is hardly fasting. So I, I think... Um, our Lord's death on Friday should be much, much, much greater than the celebration of St. Patrick and corned beef. Um, you know, I, the least may be celebrated a day before or, or a day after, I'm not sure, but what to do. Um, so I say, it's, I, I, don't, I won't dare say it's sinful, but I, I don't, I grieve at these things when we, I think it's the heart of love from a bishop that does that, but I, 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 um, I would rather that we that our focus was much more on sacrificing for our Lord. Um, we have an email from Karen. Karen writes, "Dear Mother Miriam, I am on day eight of a novena to Our Lady, undoer of knots, seeking clarity around deciding to homeschool my child." My 10-year-old son's teacher has been teaching LGBTQ gay slash trans ideology without informing me about it or giving me the option to opt out. I only found out about it because my son told me. Well, Karen, I'm going to stop your email right there and say to you and every single parent, shame on you if you need to find out what's being taught in school from your children. You need to go before your children, I don't care if it's public or Catholic or whatever, private, it doesn't matter. You need to go and, and make sure of what the curriculum is before you put your son in or your daughter in. You need to know what the books are 
and you need to have an agreement with that teacher, if they deviate from that, they need to inform you ahead of time. And Karen says, um, the principal refused to meet me, and in a 63-second phone call, kept insisting that I discuss it with the teacher. The teacher acknowledged it is not part of the curriculum, but she belligerently defended her decision and stated that the principal told her she can teach what she chooses. Oh, my. My son and I are very isolated socially. We literally only have each other. We only, he only mixes with other kids at school. I'm not even sure how I stumbled across your video about homeschooling. Maybe it is the answer to my prayer. Um, uh, Karen, your novena is over now by the time I'm reading this. I don't think you have a choice before God but to take your son out. Better to be isolated and be taught to love God and taught to love God and be on his way to heaven than be corrupted by an evil system and children who are who are learning this Um, she continues in Ireland we have a constitutional right to homeschool but I will need to go to court to dispense with the father's permission as both parents need to agree to it oh dear I could write a book about our lives, but a brief summary would be this. My son suffered abuse of every kind and witnessed me being abused. He was not raised as a Christian. He insisted on becoming a Christian. Wow. And it is 100% thanks to him that I am back in the church. Any prayers and advice would be hugely beneficial and deeply appreciated. Thank you. Karen says she's listening from Ireland. God bless you, dear one. Forget about how you and your son are isolated. I don't know the circumstance. I don't know if you're able to move or find other homeschooling families. I don't know what all that is about. Uh, Even if you get together with other families once a week in church, uh, uh, there's a way, there's a way. But better he be isolated with you and live for God than be corrupted by this evil society and the evil of LGBTQ. Uh, Now, I don't know, you say his father has to agree, you have to go to court. Again, I don't know the situation on that. Um, I don't know if he sees his father. Uh, I would just say do it. You take him out of school and teach teach him. And if his father learns about that, then his father could take you to court. Do what you have to do. Uh, At the very, very, very least, go back to that principal and say, I did speak to the teacher, and she said it's not part of the curriculum, but you told her she could teach whatever she wants. I don't know if you had in mind that she could teach evil and corruption, but she thinks that's a choice. I'm going to pull my son out of her class. And if you cannot get me another classroom, I'll have to pull him out of the school. Do it in a letter if he won't listen to you in person. Protect your son. We have an email. Now, again, if the courts are going to take your son away from you and put him with his father, forget that one. Forget that one. Do whatever you can 
to hold on to your son. We have an email from Julie who writes, Hello, Mother. I listen to your show every day and have for the past year. I bless God for his work in your life. You have had quite the journey. We still have quite the journey, dear one, even after we've gotten to Tyler. It's, it's a bit of a crazy situation, but we bless God. We bless God for being under Bishop Strickland. She says, I recently purchased for my son a second book from the St. Joseph Carry Along Collection. St. Joseph Carry Along uh, Collection. I haven't heard of that. I highly recommend any book from this series. These books are perfect for young children from birth to about six or seven years old. They are by a man named George Brundage, B-R-U-N-D-A-G-E, and feature vintage Catholic artwork of children and families. Well, that sounds good. The content is very beautiful and simple, yet profound. For example, the book I just purchased for Easter, called The Easter Story, features holy depictions of Jesus and his life in pictures and text that a child can understand and retain. The last page says that every Sunday is like a mini Easter, absolutely right, which I think is such a wonderful way of explaining such a theological concept to children, which is why no um, holy day, no saint day trumps is more important than a Sunday. If something falls out on a Sunday, it's celebrated on Monday, if at all, because Sunday is always the day of resurrection, which is what Easter is about. She continues, one can find these books at almost at most Catholic shops and online for usually $10 a book. There are books on Easter, Christmas, the lives of the saints, the order of mass, and many other beautiful traditional topics which can leave a godly impact on a child. I am 25 years old and am married with a one-year-old son. He is allured by the illustrations in his our Guardian Angels book, and always pulls it off the shelf by its built-in handle. It features traditional artwork of children playing and families engaging in daily life. I assume a portion of your audience is made up of older parents and grandparents. I would strongly urge them to purchase books from this series. St. Joseph Carry Along Board Books for their young children or grandchildren as a gift. I tell you, um, I normally don't read or recommend some. I can't recommend this, Julie, because I haven't seen it. But as soon as the program is over today, I'm going to look that up. And if I have any concerns about it, I'll mention it on tomorrow's program. But it, so far, it, it truly sounds wonderful. <clears throat> and she says... Um, these depictions help children visualize and love their faith. Children need to constantly see and love holy things so that they are trained up in the way they should go. These books do just that. I believe showing children holy books and pictures is crucial to setting up their minds to love and follow the faith for the rest of their lives. And we are so sorely in need of that today with the abundance of sin everywhere we turn. Thank you, Mother, for your strong adherence to the faith. God bless you abundantly, Julie. Julie, I will look this up. Um, and uh, again, 
maybe affirm it tomorrow, or if I have any concerns, I'll let you know. I will tell you that I had gotten from a very faithful, traditional, conservative uh, publishing uh, company some what I thought were beautiful board books for children. And I gave it to them this Christmas. And the parents would not let them have the books because the depictions of the evil in the books by the evil characters in the books were too awful, were too frightening, would be too overwhelming for their young, little, innocent lives. And the mother of this family taught me something. I hadn't thought of that. So with that in mind, I will look at this series, Julie. And I I thank you so much. This is the music, beloved, for our last break. And we will have 10 minutes when we come back. Our lines are still open. And you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483. Or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. This is Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth. Join Father Stephen Imbarato and I, along with many more, in New York City for the Gift of Life Walk on Saturday, March 25th at 11 a.m. in downtown Manhattan's Foley Square. We invite everyone to come walk with us behind the Men's March banner in this great opportunity to stand up together for the least of these on the Feast of the Annunciation, which is also the Day of the Unborn Child. Men, we also have a special men's night the evening before the walk on Friday, March 24th. Meet us at 6.30 p.m. for an important presentation on authentic manhood and the pro-life movement in the old gym at the Basilica of St. Patrick's Old Cathedral in Manhattan. Make plans now to join us. We hope that we'll see you there. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. beloved this is mother miriam many of you are familiar with mother miriam live but i wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the station of the cross such as the catholic current father robert mctague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m eastern you can listen anytime to the catholic current as a podcast on the iCatholic radio mobile app You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience, wherever you enjoy podcasts. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can find all of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our website, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are live 
And we have a good 10 minutes. I always say good because it's time for you to call in with anything on your heart if you wish. We have an email from Kevin who writes, Dear Mother, I'm a listener of your podcast from Australia. Your straight-talking, clear-cut, traditional approach to our faith is refreshing. You remind me of my own mother in that way. Thank you. Well, thank you, Kevin. I was recently watching a YouTube program from the Knights of Columbus, and it was called the Supreme Council Live Stream, and there were many great pro-life talks. It finished with a mass, and I was intrigued to see they announced before communion that there was a separate line for those who needed a gluten-free host. I realize people with celiac disease cannot tolerate gluten, but as we believe, the host becomes the body of Jesus. Wouldn't the consecrated host no longer have gluten in it? Or does the host remain bread, as well as becoming the body and blood of Jesus? Yours respectfully, Kevin. No, Kevin. The host does not remain bread. It is in total the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ in the substance. That's transubstantiation, the subtranssubstance. The substance is transformed from weed and water to the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. But the accidents, the appearance, the accidents of wheat remain. And so however that happens, the gluten is still there. The substance is Christ, but the accidents, the appearance, um, someone said, just uh, thinking aloud, that if God gave himself to us in the form of his heart and blood and all of that, we, we'd have a hard time receiving him. So the appearance of bread remains, and that appearance includes the properties of wheat, which is gluten. I'm celiac myself, Kevin. And um, no one can receive a gluten-free host. It's impossible. Because in order, they shouldn't say gluten-free host. That's incorrect. Um, In order for it to truly be the host, there must be gluten in it. Otherwise, it's not valid. It must be wheat and water. uh, So it's a low gluten host. The tiniest amount of gluten must still remain. So no one should say, if it's gluten-free, it's no longer, it's not the host. It's low gluten, and that's a, that's a fine thing for people to receive, if they can, a low gluten host. Uh, when I was a child, well, I wasn't Catholic, but I could not have received a low gluten host even then because I was too serious, a celiac. But um, I do receive the host every day now, and by a miracle of God, when I visited Lord, I can receive the, the regular host. I cannot have any gluten in anything else, but a singular miracle God was gracious to do in me, and that I can receive the full host now. So no, they were very good to say a line for those who have celiac or cannot or are intolerant to gluten, but it's never gluten-free. It has to be low gluten. Let's see, we have an email from Catherine who writes, Hello, Mother. I had a mass said, for the repose of the soul of a family friend. Sadly, her name was never mentioned during the Mass. Am I correct in assuming 
our family friend will still benefit from the Mass. God bless you, Catherine. Catherine, uh, there's no question, the priest does not need to say your friend's name aloud in order for that friend to benefit. But if the priest didn't say it, the name aloud, I would double check with him to make sure he did celebrate the Mass for that person. And I would just say, Dear Father, I didn't hear you mention the name. Did you celebrate the Mass for that person? Did you offer uh, Mass for, for him or her? And if he says yes, don't worry about whether he said the name or not. And if he said, oh no, I forgot, or then he can do it the next day. We have an email from Michael who says, I saw a headline yesterday that Pope Francis stated that, quote, the church banning priests from engaging in sex is temporary, end quote. Oh, I cannot imagine such a statement. Michael says, do you know if this is true? And if so, what are your thoughts on this insanity? Well, I don't know if it's true. I haven't seen it uh, at all. Um, it, and, and my thoughts would be it's, it's absolutely insanity and would be completely false uh, and would send priests to hell if that were the, the, ca- the case. Um, so no, no, no. Um, I don't know. You know, sometimes it could be um, um, sloppy or faulty reporting depending upon what newspaper or media outlet reported it. Sometimes they get things wrong because they like to be sensational. So I would trace that and, um, and, and trace the source to see if it's true. And if it is true, um, I just don't even imagine that. That's just, it's an insanity, absolute insanity. Um, okay. Um, oh my goodness, let me just see this. Uh, we have an email from Anonymous. Why do priests wear black specifically? Um, I once walked, walked into a, a Walmart store and there was a woman there and came up to me and she said, Sister, um, I've always had a question for years. I don't want to offend you. Can I ask you? I said, you can't offend me. It's impossible. Don't worry about it. Ask your question. She said, well, what's with the black? And I said, it's the color of death. And she said, well, that's what I thought. Why do you wear it? I said, because we as religious die to ourselves that we might give ourselves to the world. And she loved the answer. She said, wow. So that's the point with priests also. Now, I need... Um, the uh, James, my dear James, um, just put an article up on that last Michael's email. I can hardly believe such a thing, but I'm going to put it up and see if I can read it. Um, Okay, Pope Francis says, this is from Fox News. Pope Francis says, Catholic Church banning priests from engaging in sex is temporary. Um, You know, um, I'd have to read this entire article, but um, it says in, in a recent interview with an Argentine publication in FOBE, I N F O B A E, Francis said, Uh, It's no contradiction for a priest to marry and that it was temporary. Um, 
He says, celibacy in the Western church is a temporary prescription. It is not eternal like priestly ordination, which is forever, whether you like it or not. Uh, Celibacy is a discipline. Well, Pope Francis is right there. Um, There are disciplines, there are doctrines, and there are disciplines, such as... um, it is a, um, let's say, a doctrine to believe that our Lord was crucified and raised from the dead. It's a discipline to not eat meat on Fridays. It's not a doctrine. It's a discipline which we need to obey as children of the church. Celibacy is also a discipline. The Eastern Church does not have celibacy. The Eastern Catholic Church So celibacy is a discipline, but it has been said by many popes that it will not be changed. And the fact is, um, no priest can engage in sex. No human being, apart from marriage, can engage in sex. Outside of marriage, that's the ticket to hell. So whether celibacy is done away with in the future, that's... I guess, a possibility because it's a discipline, but we don't expect that that will ever happen. God bless you, dear ones, and we'll speak with you tomorrow. God.